So we always talk about ministry here on this podcast. And this individual I'm going to profile today is doing the work. She has been on the front lines helping individuals who don't have the access to education and other resources to make sure that she's a voice for them and make sure that they can get the resources. Listen, when we talk about ministry, I want you to know you're going to learn about what it means to do ministry and how to find the resources to do ministry in this episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry Podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them. To me, that's full-time ministry. You get to serve them. You can be a tenant. You're going to be paying somebody forever. If you do not niche down, you will never be successful. You'll be so busy just trying to catch everyone and never reaching the right one. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is, the truth of the matter is, you're not going to die happy because tattoo diabetes is like a thief. It brings in itself and then it opens. I want to provide content and things that are going to help change lives. And I simultaneously want to, to receive a blessing from that. I embrace their calling. I believe God's blessing that stuff. God's blessing that stuff. Now here's your host, Kamon Hunt. All right, family, welcome back to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. Super excited that each week we get a chance to share stories and share inspiration about people who have discovered their God-given ministry, their God-given calling, and they are moving out into the world, making an impact and making income. I want to just encourage you as we begin today's episode to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcasting platform, go ahead and subscribe there as well and leave us a rating and a review. All right, I'm super excited today to introduce to some and to present to others our guests for today's podcast. She is Dr. Rhonda Soyafat. Rhonda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kimon. I'm excited to be here today. I'm so glad to have you. As I said to you before we got on air, and probably some of the stuff I was saying before, I should really say it now, but you are a hero. You are a hero to me. Is someone I admire, and I was just so glad that you were able to find some time in your busy schedule uh, to come share on our podcast today. Oh, absolutely. I love the work that you're doing. I love the storytelling that you're doing, and I'm glad to just be a contributor to that. Well, um, we're going to do some formal introduction, but one of the most important things that you need to know about uh, Dr. Rhonda is that she is from the best place in the world, right? Sweet, sweet TNT. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I'm a little biased, but yeah, we we share that heritage, and I'm I'm really excited to hear um, as we unpack this today, how, where your burden, your passion for the things that you're doing, where that comes from. So let me read a little bit of your bio. There's okay. so much I could say about Dr. Rhonda, but I'm going to just share this a bit. So Dr. Rhonda is recognized both nationally and internationally for her leadership in social justice youth work. She's worked for over 25 years across government, business, education, and the nonprofit sectors to ensure positive youth development for marginalized communities. Uh, she, her dedication to serving children of color began when she was a child herself, and we'll get into that even more. She's lent her expertise to institutions like the Obama Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, National Legal Aid Defenders Association, Salzburg Institute, and many more. 
is the founder and president CEO of the Mariah Group, an Alabama-based international consulting firm. She and her team provide the lens of racial equality used by leaders in politics, policy advocacy organization, and foundations. So Dr. Rhonda, you bring a wealth of experience, you bring a heart and a passion, and we want to explore that today. Because there's somebody watching this who has similar heart, similar passion, and they want to know how to take the steps that you've taken to build an organization and to create change the way you've done. Okay. So, now, I've read a lot of stuff here, um, and there's so much more that I did not read. But let's just say someone didn't know Dr. Rhonda uh, Sawyer, Sawyer Fat, or someone knows you. What's something they would be surprised to learn about you? Maybe some special hobby, something you're interested in. What's something people would be surprised to learn? I think they would be surprised to learn that I love all things home improvement and woodworking. Really? So that is my side passion. I get to use my creative side. So I have a ton of power tools in the garage. I love to get dirty, wood, nails, building things. Whenever we have people um, come to the house to make an improvement, I'm trying to be a part of the team. So I think that's what? something that people would never know about me. That's cool. That's cool. So that means in your home, there's some things that have your own hand, your, that's your handiwork there. Absolutely, I built my pantry, yeah. I love, I love it, all right, all right. Well, you learned it here first, and who knows, that may be the next business we may be profiling on, on the podcast. <laughs> all right, so take us back. I said it a little bit there, and you have a passion for um, providing equity and equality for uh, youth, where did this come from? Where did your passion come from? And if I messed up how I said it, please correct me. Oh, it's all good. You know, I think that the passion that we have for the work that we do in ministry is born out of personal experiences, mm -hmm. things that we've gone through in our lives. And for me, it was when I moved to the United States from Trinidad and Tobago and I started going to school, one of the very first things that I noticed was the inequity in the schoolhouse. So I was a seventh grader and I was in a magnet program, which is like a gifted and talented program. And I began to recognize that none of my friends from the neighborhood were in that same program. And although we all attended the same school together, it was like two schools in one building. And so if you were on this gifted and talented track, you had access to all of these amazing experiences and field trips and special options and programs. And if you were on the regular track, you got a very basic level education. And I found that to be so wrong. Mm. I was so, so profoundly impacted by that because I was in class with all white students all day long and only saw my friends from the neighborhood at recess and after school. And so I was living this, you know, this kind of dichotomy of not being in class with people who looked like me or understood me and not feeling like I fit in there, but then not feeling like I fit in with my friends from the neighborhood because we had, didn't have anything in common in our school day. And as a seventh grader, I began to think about what does it look like to give the best quality education to all children? in one building together. And I began to draw diagrams. What would that schoolhouse look like? You know, what would the teachers be like? What kinds of amenities would be in that building? And my excitement just grew and grew and grew from there. And um, by the time I got to college, I knew what I wanted to study. I knew what I wanted to be. And I knew what impact I wanted to have in the world. 
So Rhonda, that's, I was going to ask you how old you were. You, you said it's seventh grade. Seventh grade. Like, so I was 12, 13. Yeah. So, you know, and, and maybe I'm, as I think back of myself for seventh grade, I don't know if I had, or a lot of us have the capacity to think, okay, well, this is good for me. I don't really worry about like, like, where is this coming from? Is this just um, innate within you? Is this from your upbringing? Like, just help us understand why your worldview was shaped in such a way that you weren't just comfortable with the access that you had, but you wanted other people to have access as well. You know, I think when you come from an island mm -hmm. and everybody looks like you and everybody has access to the same education that you have, you see discrimination and dehumanization differently from a different lens. So I wasn't accustomed to going to school with white children and Asian children and Hispanic children. And I get to this school now and everybody comes from different backgrounds and different races, but it was easy to see that your race dictated what opportunities you had access to. And that just inherently felt wrong to me. And I would go home and have conversations with my mom. My mom is a Howard University graduate. So she had deeply ingrained in her um, a sense of justice, a sense of social responsibility, a sense of what racism had done to people in the United States. And we would have those kinds of conversations at home. And so it was just something that grew in me. I always felt like nobody should be minimized or marginalized based on you know, their economic status or based on their race. And my mother had always taught me, every, you look at everybody equally, you regard everybody equally, you treat everybody the same, regardless to what you perceive their status to be in the world, because God loves us all the same. Yeah. And that was really the basis for why it just, it graded my soul that this was how our schools were looking. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Dr. Rhonda, as I listen to you talk, it sounds like this is not just, this is a spiritual thing. This is something that, um, just this is just wrong. And mm -hmm. this is something that your mom and your, your upbringing has said, okay, no, I need to, this is wrong. But then there's a step that you now began to take, which is dream. Okay. I, what can I do about it? And just talk to us about that. Because for many of us, we may see things that are wrong mm -hmm. in our world. You know, our, our spirituality and our heart says this is wrong. But a lot of us, don't do anything about that. Kind of talk to us about how do we, how do, how do you move beyond just getting upset, getting passionate about something and moving to action? You know, when my son was leaving for college and we started talking about majors, mm -hmm. my question never to him was, what do you want to be when you grow up? My question to him always was, what is the problem you want to solve in the world? Mm -hmm. Here we go. What is the problem? What is the thing that keeps you up at night? What is the thing that either angers you so much or makes you so happy and you wish that everybody else could experience it? And I think for me, it was, this is not only something that I see as wrong, but this is something that I want to do something about. And I feel like that is the mark that I want to make on the world. And I feel like, you know, God doesn't place us in the world just to live here. He places us here to make a mark on the world, to make the world a better place, to contribute in ways that bring the world closer to what he wants it to yeah. be. Yeah. So this was what I felt like this was the contribution I wanted to make. If children in the United States had access to equitable, high quality education, then I would have lived out my mission and what God wanted me to do for my life. Yeah. What problem you want to solve in this world? I love it. 
in terms of this. And I think we talk about this podcast, monetizing your ministry. That's to me, your ministry, the problem mm -hmm. God has put you on earth to solve. It's not just what office you hold in your religious organization. It's the problem that you are called to serve each and every day. Now, let your, the problem that you're mentioning to us, uh, Dr. Rhonda, just seems so big. I mean, it's just, I mean, like providing, you know, equality of education and, and making sure that all children have the same access just seems so big. And for some of us, when we think about the problem we want to solve, there's that feeling, okay, well, this will never happen, right? Have you ever had to battle that feeling of, oh, what, what can I do with such a big uh, problem? I have, yeah, because it it is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And you can look at it at a national scale, at a state or citywide scale, at a school district scale. Um, and and I don't just focus on education. You know, I focus on employment mm -hmm. and child welfare and many issues that impact the lives of kids of color. And it feels huge, but I always ask myself, if you can make impact in just a few lives, isn't even that enough, you know? And I think in as I've watched my career over the years, every step I took in my career was about being able to impact more young people. So I, I did it at the local level where I ran a school that had 25 kids in it. And then from there I went to state government and now I'm impacting all the kids in my state. Then I went to federal government. And, but each step that I took, I felt like it was me just pushing myself to take my ministry to the next level so that more children's lives would be impacted. And I can honestly say there are children whose faces I'll never see, whose names I'll never know, who are impacted by the work that I decide to sit and do every day here in my office. And that's the beauty of it. You know, sometimes when we do ministry work, that ripple effect, you never know how many people or whose lives you're impacting. And that's all right. You've done your due diligence and you know that you're doing the thing that you're called to do. Yeah, I love it. Our guest today is Dr. Rhonda Soyafat. And so, Dr. Rhonda, you used the word ministry. You said the work I'm doing ministry. When did that start? When did the realization that the work I'm doing, this is my ministry? When, when did you have that realization? I've always known that. I've always felt that for myself. You know, I I switched majors in college. I started out as a civil engineering major because, like I said, I'm interested in construction. And, you know, I was a structural engineering major. And the turning point for me was some of the volunteer work that I was doing on campus and the volunteer work that I was doing in the neighboring community next to my campus. And I began to realize that my impact didn't have to be in the buildings that I built. My impact could be on changing the policies that make those buildings function well. Yeah. And in that turning point, I recognized that the work that I was doing professionally and what I knew my God-given calling was, were about to be in lockstep with each other. Mm -hmm. And so from the very beginning, I recognized it as such. And I don't shy away from talking about my faith in my professional work and in my professional settings, because people need to understand that for me, 
it's about God and business savvy coming together to form this business and make it work and make it run the way that it's intended. And I truly believe that every business success that I have had over the years is because I'm walking in lockstep with God about what he wants me to do. I love it. I love it. So and I want to get to that because, okay, you you have you had a successful career. You mentioned from serving at the school to state to national. At what point do you say now I'm going to start something of, of my own after having done, you know, all of these successful things done made impact and having the security of a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How do we do that? So sometimes you get pushed to do the thing that you would never have the courage to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes God breaks certain situations so that you have no choice but to do what it is he's wanted you to do. Um, I had mentors for years telling me, Rhonda, you can go out on your own. You can consult. You can do this. And I was afraid because that means you don't have health insurance anymore. You don't have a steady paycheck. You're out here hustling for contracts. And, you know, being a mother and having two children, I needed that stability. But I also began to recognize that my life needed to look different. You know, working in public policy, it's hectic. You know, like you're carrying two cell phones, you're working all hours of the day and night. I had a three hour commute to work every day and I, and I needed a different quality of life for my family. And that was really what pushed me toward the change, but I was still afraid to take the leap. Um, but then I finally said, you know, I'm working in an industry that is all about transforming situations and circumstances for young people of color and the communities in which they live. But honestly, I'm sitting inside of an institution and doing it and that institution in and of itself is undergirded by white supremacy. Mm. I, I had to be real about it. You know, like I'm dealing with microaggressions and dealing with people who are not even understanding that some of their ideology about how to approach this work was in and of itself racist. Mm. And so if I wanted to have the level of impact that I really wanted to have, if I wanted to touch lives in the way that I wanted to, if I wanted to speak with an unapologetic voice and demand that racism and dehumanization be tackled as an issue in the United States, I couldn't do it within those organizations because my voice was bridled. And so starting my own company was the only way to be able to do that. And so I took the leap of faith um, and started to get out there and hustle for contracts. But over time, you know, the business has grown well. But I can speak about issues of race and racism and deconstructing dehumanization in our society in a way I could never do before. I, you know, it's we're going to talk about where things are with the Mariah group and some of the mm -hmm. things you're doing now. But I remember this is not the first time I've interviewed you. No, it's not. Yeah. And I remember just the story then and just to see the growth now. But then going back, making that leap of faith, stepping out, starting your own thing. And um, I'm, I meet people all the time, Rhonda, who they have a heart for ministry. They want to serve people. So you're different mm -hmm. business models, right? There's some people who are 
for-profit, they're working business to business, business to consumer, but then there are others who they want to start something and the people they want to serve can't pay them, but they mm -hmm. still need to finance this. And so when we talk about monetizing your ministry, we don't just mean you're selling to the person who is the end user. It's mm -hmm. there's a way for you to receive funds that take care of the, the, the ministry and also allow you to do that full time. So let's kind of get into your model. You, sure. You're starting this. Um, you talked about contracts, but let me just ask this one. Like, where did the Mariah group come from? Just even the name. So the name is from my grandmother's village in Tobago. My mother's family, my grandmother's family is all from the village of Mariah on a hill. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to honor my grandmother's legacy because everything that I know about ensuring that young people thrive, investing in young people comes from mm. the legacy of my grandmother. My grandmother used to, on Saturday nights after church, bake sweet bread and coconut tart and open up her front yard no, to no, the young people no, in the no, village. You're talking good now. Look. <laughs> because she wanted them to have a safe space. She said, I don't want them to be out, you know, liming on the corner. I want them to have a safe place to be able to hang out. And I want my home to be that place. And so those kinds of stories fuel why it is I do what I do. Yeah. So my grandmother passed around the time that I started my company. And so I named it to honor her. Yeah. Now getting started and, and, and um, I mean, just want to just uh, honor her legacy, just that what the work she did it influenced you and now you're you're just it's the ripple effect of that right so it's yeah. just so wonderful to see but you're getting started this new nonprofit and of course you're not new to this game you're you're in the work but now you're making a shift were there mm -hmm. any things that you did in the beginning maybe getting some help like how did you even just go about getting all of the paperwork and all that stuff like take us back there for someone who might be wanting to start their own uh, nonprofit so I'll clarify the Mariah Group is actually not a nonprofit. We're an S Corp. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we are a for profit consulting firm. Okay. So I own three businesses. So there is the for profit side. Mm -hmm. We have a nonprofit called the Nafasi Fund. And then we have a real estate venture called Ayoku Healing Retreat Center. So when I started the Mariah Group, I started it as an LLC. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you file your regular LLC paperwork and you know, I knew enough to know I needed to separate my books. So I need a QuickBooks account and I need a business bank account. And I started real basic, you know, um, and it was just me. And so it was fine for it to be basic. But as we grew and I took on my first two employees, I said, oh, wait, I need HR policies. I need to understand, you know, how to um, run payroll and, and pay taxes on the payroll to make sure that I'm in compliance. And so there are a lot of free classes out there. Um, there's a website called Coursera. I would get on Coursera and take all kinds of business classes. I took free QuickBooks classes. Um, I took free business structure classes just to teach me the things that I needed to learn. And then there are a couple of organizations that um, ran business classes as well. Um, on Zoom, and I would log in and do some of those. And then when I once we got to be about four years old, I qualified 
to do a Goldman Sachs business training program. And I went through that program and that taught me a ton about sales and marketing and all of that. But I was constantly looking for the things that would teach me about how to build a business because I knew how to do the work of the business. Yeah. You know, I knew how to do all of that, but I didn't know how to run a structure. And so I was always looking for those professional development opportunities to teach myself. And a lot of them were free. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, just you're giving free game here. And I thank you for that correction because, you know, I know the work that you do. And in my mind, all of the work that you do was on the nonprofit side. But so glad that you just clarified that, that you that you have three different businesses. Mm-hmm. So we are a social justice consulting firm, mm-hmm. you know, so we are mission driven mm-hmm. and everything that we do focuses on that. But we use a for profit model. Nice. OK. And and folks, you, you hear this, that there's a work that you want to do. And then there's there's working in the business and then there's that working on the business, making yeah. sure that you have all of your structure, your finances in order, because uh, come come the, the year, the beginning of the year. The, the IRS will want their money. Just just know. Absolutely. That. And I learned that lesson the hard way because my first year I ended up with a huge tax bill. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, OK, I need to do this differently. And I need to pull in the experts that know how to do this. And so I can't do my own bookkeeping. I can't do my own taxes anymore. I need professionals who can teach me how to structure myself in a way that I am legally um, reducing my tax liability. Yes, yes. Yes. Now you talked about contracts and I want to get to the, the nonprofit side in a bit. Sure. Talking mm-hmm. about contracts and for a lot of people, okay, I know I can do this work, but I have to now go about getting contracts. Talk mm-hmm. about how did you do that? And were there any like obstacles, either like mental obstacles, like, you know, how should I charge? Should I put myself? Mm-hmm. What are any obstacles you had to overcome in that process? Sure. Yeah. So when it came for me to begin looking for contract work, you know, a lot of this stuff is about relationships. And it, so when it when I started the firm, I reached out to several people who I knew in the industry and let them know I'm branching out on my own. This is what I'm about to do. Do you have any work? If you don't have any work. Who do you feel comfortable recommending me to? How can I build my network? That's, and so that's I started doing that. that. was so good. That was so good. Yeah. I would reach out to my colleagues, let them know, because, you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Mm-hmm. So I would let them know, this is what I'm doing. I'm branching out. I know that you're in this industry. Is there anything that I can do for your company? You know what my skill sets are. And if there isn't, who are you comfortable recommending me to or connecting me to? You know, so I had my one pager about the services that I provided. And I said to them, feel free to float this to anybody you want to. I'm open for conversations, for calls. There were some people that they recommended that I just have like, you know, an informational meeting with. And so I did a lot of that, you know, just informing people about what I would be working on, what I was up to. And that yielded my first several contracts. But I had to open my mouth and let people know this is what I'm doing. This is my new venture. You know, I would love your support in this. And so for the first two years, the contracts that I got were on the basis of those relationships. And then on the basis of relationships that I had built prior when I was working inside of another entity. You know, when you build strong 
uh, professional bonds and relationships with people and they know your work ethic and work quality, they're willing to say, I know you're branching out on your own. I'll take a risk on you. And I had several colleagues that took a risk on me early in the game and I did not let them down. Yeah. So good. That's so good. You know, just even that, that which how you just shared here for a lot of us, we're intimidated. Where am I going to get mm -hmm. clients? Who's going to do work with me? I have a product. I have a service. I have this expertise. I have this ministry. I'm now turning into a business. And I can't think of a better way than starting with people, you know, and then asking them for connections with others who they know. It's really about trust and relationship building that yeah. you've already done that you're now making a connection to. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as you've grown, how is your work in the Mariah group and your role in the work that you do? How has it changed as you've grown? So as you grow the company, you get further and further away from the actual work. Mm. And that was something that I had to reconcile because I love social justice work. I love to get down in the weeds with folks and visit communities and talk about issues and help them to strategize. I don't do any of that anymore. Mm. You know, so as the company has grown, so now I have about 25 employees now. Um, last year we hired a president. And so I now sit in the role as founder and CEO. And so my role now is big picture visioning for what the company should tackle next, what's new in terms of our, our offerings and special projects. Wow. And so, you know, my staff gets to do the work day to day with community based organizations, with young people, et cetera. But I get to set and cast the vision for where does this company go next? Believe it or not, we're nine years old now. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So nine years. We're nine years old. And so thinking about, you know, what's next for us, we're, we're building out a whole fee for service technical assistance arm now. So a lot of the work that foundations have paid us to do. Now we're going to create a technical assistance arm where uh, corporations can purchase our services. Universities can purchase our services. That's the next big thing on the horizon. And we're building this healing retreat center, you know, and so I lead that work. And then there's a CEO, a, a president rather in place to lead the day to day of the Mariah Group as a company. Rhonda, I mean, when you started, I'm, I'm going to ask you, like, we're nine years in. Did you see all of this nine years ago? Absolutely not. I tell people all the time, my company is the perfect example of exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think. I never saw all of this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. This is so good. All right. Um, there's so many ways. Oh, man. So many ways. Okay. I got to make sure I ask my questions quickly because I, I, whoa, this is so good. Okay. So. Here it is. You have this heart, this passion, this knowledge, which is your ministry. And as a, I'm glad you corrected me, for-profit, now providing services to organizations. How are you packaging this knowledge in a way that people are paying you for it? Right? I'm sure mm -hmm. you could go in, work with the organization, but that takes a Like, what are the different ways that you have now packaged the way that you are providing these services for companies and organizations? Yeah, so there are a few different ways. So one of the services that we provide is intermediary grant making. So we go in to a foundation and we say to them, we know that you have an interest in putting dollars out into communities of color. 
funding youth development work that is impacting the lives of young people of color. But we also know that you may not have within your company the, uh, the brain trust to know how to do that and do that well. We have a model for how we do this funding work. We have a model for how we approach ensuring that we are selecting the highest quality candidates to receive these dollars. And we present them with the model. And we say to them, if you have a portfolio of $10 million that you wanna give away, and you don't have the infrastructure to do this kind of model in-house, we'll do it out, we'll outsource it. We will do that work for you. And we've done that for several foundations. So that's one of our offerings. We also have written curriculum about what it means to disrupt dehumanization in our public service systems. And we present that curriculum for a fee to different organizations around the country. So we've written three programmatic models at this point, and we present and we package those and present those, um, and people hire us to do that work. I love it. Okay. So it's a service. We can, we can do this for you, or here is this, um, here's our curriculum that you can license, um, you know, pay for the license to use it for your organization. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good. Now, I'm asking this because um, I have uh, one of my children, as I mentioned before, who is into her passion is um, teaching the next generation and her generation African-American history. And one of the yeah. things that just I've seen and we all see in our uh, in the news is that there is a pushback against I would I would even say the work that you're doing is a pushback Absolutely. against any sort of work. One, how are you dealing with that? And how do you keep yourself encouraged, um, not jaded or, you know, like how do you mm -hmm. stay positive in the in the in light where, where we see a pushback against the work and the advances that your work has made? Yeah. You know, I think it's important for people to understand that the the faction of folk that are pushing back and speaking out against things like critical race theory. Uh, authentic teaching of, of Black history, they are the minority. Mm. It's a very small sector of our country, but they have a very loud voice. Okay. And so I honestly don't pay them too much attention because there are so many other entities that believe that it is essential for us to keep pushing forward with this work. Um, there's so many more foundations and public policy agencies, et cetera, who disagree with that analysis and believe that this work is critically important. And so I don't give much credence to the naysayers. I just keep pushing forward and doing the work because at the end of the day, they're not the people that I'm going to for the resources to do this work anyway. Wow. You know, I'm, that perspective you, you shared, I want to say like it enlightened me because for me hearing it so loudly, it may seem like it's the majority, right? It's like, right. well, maybe this is what every, maybe this is what the majority, of course, wants. So mm -hmm. might as well give up. But to your point, we sometimes, and this 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 applies to so many things, right? We can allow a minority negative voice to have yes. such a loud, um, we give them the microphone in our minds, mm -hmm. in our lives, in our organizations, and we stop what we we know we should be doing because we're listening to a loud minority, a vocal minority. Absolutely, absolutely. And we really have, if you know 
this is your goal and this is what you're pushing towards. This is what you're working on. Mm -hmm. Focus yourself on the people that are allies in that work with you, the people that are aligned with your vision and your mission and encourage each other and don't give credence to the voices that don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Ron, it's true. Like God will never just leave you without any support, right? Absolutely. You may have, you may not have a uh, large support, but he's never going to leave you without any support, any person to walk with you in the calling that he's given you. Absolutely. So there are a few things I want to kind of pivot to. Um, sure. I wrote it down here. I saw it, the land blessing um, ceremony for the yeah. healing retreat center. I'm so excited. <laughs> about that, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So talk about that. Yes. So we decided to invest those grant dollars into purchase of land and the building of a healing retreat center. For the last seven or eight years, we have been doing retreats with social activists and racial justice leaders around the country, giving them a place to recharge, refuel, um, regain perspective, regain their strength and go back out to continue to do the work, right? But we've been doing that in hotel spaces around the country. And we began to talk about what does it look like to do that for ourselves, to own it, mm. to be able to own it and operate it and not subject people to the continual microaggressions that they're going to experience in some of these, you know, luxury hotel spaces around the country. And so we reclaimed 54 acres of land in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, land that- 54 acres. 54 acres of land in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, yes. And um, we are building on that land a healing retreat center dedicated to ensuring that activists and leaders, um, community pioneers have a safe and brave space to come to where they can reinvigorate their spirits and go back out to continue to do the work. So we are, um, we did our land blessing in April of last year because I firmly believe that when you make that kind of purchase and God opens the doors, you also need to bless the land. Yeah. You need to ask God to bless all of your efforts and to, to clear the path for the project to come to fruition. And so we brought together the staff, colleagues from around the country, spiritual leaders, and they prayed with us over that land. And we are looking to break ground in the spring of this year and to be open um, in the fall or winter of next year to begin serving leaders from around the country. That's wonderful. Rhonda, that's so inspiring. That is so inspiring. Um, someone's listening to this and you mentioned grants. I used to mm -hmm. mention a grant and you may have mentioned grants before. And for some of us, we might be intimidated with that. So for someone who is doing work in a nonprofit or doing mm -hmm. work that they need that funding, just what's one or two tips you would give them in this whole process of finding and receiving grant money? So there is a website, um, candid.org that lists grant opportunities Candid. that are candid.org mm -hmm. that lists grant opportunities and um, sorts those grant opportunities by topic area, geographic region, et cetera. That's a great starting place just to begin to look for grants that may align with what it is you're working on. Um, if you're looking to do work and it's specific to a locale, begin to look at 
the, um, the community foundations that are in your local area to see if those community foundations have a mission that's aligned with the work that you're going to do, be doing. If you're going to be doing um, work that's more national in nature, you can look at national foundations. Um, but there's a ton of information out there and people should not be intimidated to apply. Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row before you apply. You know, so if you have your 501c3, make sure you've got all your legal paperwork in place. Make sure that you have your bookkeeping set up so that you can actually run your statements of activity and your profit and loss statements because they're going to want to see what have you been doing in the last year or two years, you know, before you applied for these resources. So if you make sure that you have those business elements down, make sure that you have your idea clearly articulated. Mm, that's, good. that's good. You know, so lay out what is your mission? What are you hoping to accomplish? What are the three ways that you're doing that? What does your program model look like? And that becomes the template for every grant application you're going to write. So it's not as if you're writing 15 grant applications. You have one that you customize and you tailor and you pull out language, you know, um, to be able to write these, to get to get yourself started. Um, and you can start as small or as big, depending on what it is that you're working on. I think the biggest misconception that I hear from people, though, is that if I'm doing it in a nonprofit, I'm not going to make any money. Say that. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's not true. You write your budget and you write your salary into your budget. And you write in a salary that is a livable wage, that is what you would be making if you were out in the marketplace. You know, th so that's a huge misconception that you run this nonprofit off of the skin of your back and you don't make any money. No, you establish your budget in a way that allows you to earn a salary that will take care of you and your family and still do the programmatic work that you're trying to accomplish in your ministry. And you can support yourself and your family in that way legitimately yeah you know um you you just broke a misconception a lot of people have nonprofit doesn't mean broke right it, it does not it doesn't mean you don't get any money um that you're putting all your money into this thing right it just is how you how you're funded it's how you it funded. is yeah. it's just how you're funded it's, it's your business structure you know, you've chosen nonprofit. It also means that you got to make sure that you have a legit board of directors in place and that that board of directors meets on a regular basis and you've documented those meetings. You've got to have all of your ducks in a row and your paperwork street so that you're always in compliance with whatever business structure you've chosen for the work. Yeah. Uh, and one more point on, on, on nonprofits. I think for-profit, nonprofit, when you talked about in your consulting work or in your nonprofit work, one of the things that we didn't touch on is you don't get every non every grant you apply for. No, you don't. Every place that you uh, reach out to to offer your services as a consultant doesn't say yes. And every person you try to sell to, let's just mm -hmm. move it from different levels, does not buy. Mm -hmm. And so for everything, you have to be able to deal with the no and keep it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when I first got into this work, the no's were hard. But nothing has tested my faith like being in business. Say it, say it, say it. Yep. And I have learned 
that the no's that come are because God has something better that's coming along. And that has been proven over and over and over again. When I tell you, my, my staff jokes me because I have a whiteboard in my office and they say, Rhonda, everything you write on that whiteboard comes true because I pray over my whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's all about business. But if you are a person of faith, you have to allow your faith to be activated in that business venture as well. I love it. You are so right. Nothing tests your faith like being in business. Mm-hmm. And God is present with you in your business ventures. Like God is not just the God who, hey, I'm waiting for you to come to my house of worship or whatever it is on the weekend. No, God is with you when you're dreaming, when you're strategizing, when you're putting yourself out there, when you hit a bump. Mm -hmm. He is with you in all of those things. And I'm so glad that you said what you just said. Yes, it's absolutely true. I'll give you a short testimony about that. When I was looking to scale my business from just me and one part-time employee and to do something bigger, right? I I wanted to get away from the six-month contracts. And I said, God, if this is really what you wanted me to do, you're going to bless me with a multi-year contract that allows me to comfortably do the work without having to chase the next dollar. And there was a, a grant opportunity that was available that I I was not eligible to quali- to uh, apply for because my business wasn't large enough. I needed a partner. And uh, I was introduced to someone and I asked him if he was willing to partner with me on the project. And he said, uh, you know, it's interesting, but I don't really think I'm ready for something like that. And I prayed about it. And God said, Rhonda, begin to write the grant proposal. And I said, but God, I don't have a partner. God said, Rhonda, begin to write the grant proposal. And I started to write. There was a four-week window until this proposal was due. I wrote for two weeks. Two weeks in, that same person called me, well, called our friend, our mutual friend, and said, you know what? Send me that thing again. I think I might be interested. Connect me with that young lady that you said, you know, I could partner with. You know, let, let's have a conversation. And so I got on the phone with him and he said, so what are you thinking? I said, I've been writing for two weeks. I'll send it to you. And he read everything that I had written. He said, I can get on board with this. And in two weeks, we pulled the entire grant proposal together and we submitted it. And it was a four year, $13 million project. And we we were we we were awarded the project. Mm. And I couldn't help but think, what if I had been disobedient? Yeah. What if I had not started to write? When he called, I wouldn't have had anything to show him. Mm. But because I was obedient and I listened to the voice of God, he said, Oh, you've already got this thing half worked out on paper. We can do the rest. Yeah. And he was my best business partner. And we worked together for those four years. And then the, when it was time to renew the contract, he said, Rhonda, I'm going to tell them to give your company the whole contract and I'll just subcontract under you. Rhonda, you just spoke to my soul because, you know, for this this year, what I've been sensing from God is, you know, for a lot of time, I play it too small. And a lot of people, we we we. We just want a little small something. Just and just listening to one that story of your scaling 
and then listening to what God is doing, it's stretching our minds to the possibilities of the things that we are starting, the things we have started, the things we are working on. God does want to go exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. And that's what I've gotten out of what you've shared with me and share with us on this conversation. Yeah. You got to dream big. Yeah. Yeah. Dream big, like dream audaciously. Yeah. And then say, God, if this is really the ministry you have for me, mm -hmm. take it there. Yeah. I'm following your lead. We're walking together in lockstep. Yeah. You could have never told me that I would have 25 employees. <laughs> yeah. Wow. God bless you. God bless you. Think about because you are obedient, there are families that yes. you are not. You're not just doing something that's blessing your family. You're blessing families. Yes. That is amazing. Yeah. That I is. think about that every day. The fact that there are families whose lives are sustained because of the work that I do every day. All right, Dr. Rhonda, I cannot end without this. Okay. Rhonda inspires change. This is one of my favorite things now that I've seen. I was like, go ahead, Dr. Rhonda. I see you out here in these uh, social media streets. Yes. Sharing inspiration and talking. Talk to us about that because we, we joked about this in the intro before we started. Talk to us about, first of all, this is Dr. Rhonda's Instagram. All of you go follow this now, at Rhonda inspires change. Talk to us about you showing up on the on the socials. <laughs> so everybody who knows me knows that I am a deep introvert and social media is not my thing, right? But um, as we talked about scaling the business and having more of a presence on social media, they said, to, my team said to me, Rhonda, you are founder and CEO. You have to really expand your voice. Um, you have to expand the message, especially as we are growing into new territories with the business. And so we had to find a, a comfortable way that would allow for me to do that. Love that. And so we, we partnered with another company who helps us to create the content and, and do the shoots and, and um, answer the questions that people want to know about leadership and business, about racism and, and you know, a lot of different topics. Um, but so it, it, that's where we are now. And so when people follow me, they get to hear me talk about these different things. Yeah. Um, and I, I go with it. I'm still a nervous wreck every time I do it, but I go with it. <laughs> You're doing it though. I, I love it. I heart it every time I see it. Cause I love, um, that not only have you, um, taken action on the ministry that God has given you. But now by you showing up in this way, you're giving other people a template, um, inspiration of how they can take action. You're sharing that voice. And I love seeing you do it. Um, so keep on doing it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And uh, I don't know when, when you're going to start a TikTok channel, uh, Dr. Ron. Oh, yeah. I'm staying off the TikTok streets. <laughs> <laughs> the, the business channels are on TikTok, but I won't be on there. <laughs> That's funny. I, mean, I had to tease you on that. I'm sure I'm sure your kids would love to see you over there doing dances on TikTok. Right? Oh, my goodness. You know, my son's a TikToker. He makes money over there. I let him that, that be his wheelhouse. Come on now. So we already mentioned it. Um, if you want to follow Dr. Rhonda, go to at Rhonda Inspires Change on Instagram. And I think it's also on Facebook. What? what? Yes. Yeah. Same handle on Facebook. Yeah. 
and the Mariah Group that we've talked about, the website for that, Dr. Rhonda, what is that? It's themariahgroup.com. And is the Mariah Group also on um, social media? Because we want to make sure that we're, we're not just following you, but the, uh, the organizations that you want us to follow as well. Yes. So they, um, the Mariah Group is on Facebook and on Instagram, as well as on LinkedIn. And at the Mariah Group. At the Mariah Group. Yep. I love it. You, uh, the social media people and the, the communication people on your team, kudos to them. They got it all lined up. All lined up. Yeah. Well, as we wrap this up, is there any word that you want to share with someone who just getting started? Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're intimidated. Maybe they just are afraid that what they have, they don't have all the knowledge, whatever. What's a word that you would share with them from your experience? I would tell them to write down their fears and then write down what is the solution to addressing that fear. Because sometimes we catastrophize things in our heads. But if you write it down and you can draw a line to here is the solution to addressing my fear, then it then gives them an action item. Because if you are, are if you are willing to do the work to address your fear and you have a solution sitting in front of you, then you have everything that you need to go from fear to launching that idea that is so important and embedded in your heart. So good. That was like very practical. Listen, folks, our guest today was uh, Dr. Rhonda Soyafact from the Mariah Group. And Dr. Rhonda, you have inspired us to think bigger. Um, the work that God has given us to do demands that we think bigger. And the God we serve demands that we think bigger. So I just want to encourage you, take this inspiration, take this motivation, take all of this knowledge that you've gotten here and take what you have had, what you have out into the world. Thank you for listening to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast with Kamon Hines. For more information, visit our website at www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com. That's www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com. Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please share this episode with someone who needs it. Let's increase our income and impact.